Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. I'm so glad that you're joining us today. This is part two on sharing your faith. You know, there's joy in sharing your faith. There's joy in seeing people born again. I remember how happy I was when my children were born, and I was there for all five of the births, and what a joyful time that was. Now, it was a time of agony on one hand because I watched my wife go through the shadow of the valley of death. I experienced that pain with her, and then came forth that child. What a joy that was to see that child being brought into this world. Now, as we look at where we are as a culture, Americans are more unhappy now than they have been in any other time in history. As a matter of fact, in the last year, it took a 30% increase in their unhappiness. That is unbelievable, right? When you think about it. When we look at how we can bring joy to our culture, I believe the joy of the Lord is going to be given to those who share the gospel, those who receive the gospel. The gospel is the hope for humanity. Well, what in the world is the gospel? The gospel is the good news, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul delineates clearly what the gospel is, that Jesus died for the sins of the world, that whoever will call upon his name will be saved. When I think about the power of the gospel, I think it has that difference to get us out of the depths of despair because we're guilty because of our sins. Now, last night I taught a little class on how to share your faith. And one of the things we talked about is, well, how do we get people interested in spiritual matters? And I says, I think in our day and age, people are broken. People are falling apart. Their lives are falling apart. They are discouraged. They are defeated. They are unhappy. Their lives are broken. And they're trying to find how to be put back together again. Maybe they feel like Humpty Dumpty who fell off the wall. Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty Dumpty back together again, right? They've tried prosperity. They've tried drugs and alcohol. Uh, They've tried illicit relationships. Uh, They've tried a whole host of things from material blessings to all these other things. And it didn't put them back together again. You see, when you're broken, there's only one person that can put you back together again. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. How do I get people interested in spiritual things? Well, I remind people all the time. You know, your life is very brief. Uh, James talks about that. He says in James 4.14, Whereas you don't know what's going to be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It's like this steam coming off the kettle that is here for just a little while and, and then it goes away. You know, not only is life very brief, but life is so uncertain. You know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 says, don't brag about tomorrow. Why shouldn't we brag about tomorrow? Because we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. As we look at tomorrow, there's enough trouble today without having to worry about tomorrow. Don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what a day may bring forth. When I think about getting people interested in spiritual things, remind them that life is very brief. Remind them that even in the brevity of life, life has a lot of uncertainty. But you know this one thing you can count on? Death is sure. Hebrews 9.27 says, it's appointed unto man once to die. One time we're going to die, and then after this comes the judgment. You know, when you think about death, God knows the day you're going to die. He's already set it on the calendar. You can't accelerate. You can't delay it. It's appointed unto man once to die. The gospel is so powerful. The gospel can change your life. And I want everybody listening to me to have the capacity to know how to share their faith. We looked yesterday at the soul in his prayer. Paul said, would you pray for me that whenever I speak, 
that I may have the words that will be given to me, so that I may be fearless in making known the gospel. He says, I'm this ambassador in chains, and pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Oh, soul winners know how to pray. The most effective soul winners are those who bathe their lives in prayer. They wake up with a prayer on their lips. They go to bed at night with a prayer on their lips. They pray throughout the day. They pray without ceasing. So what's on your prayer list today? Are you praying for others? Paul says, pray for me. Pray that when I speak, I'll have the words to say, and pray that I'll be able to proclaim it fearlessly as I ought to. The soul owner also knows that he has a great purpose. That purpose is to go forth, bearing precious seed, carrying out that great commission to share the gospel to every single creature. The soul owner also has a passion. You know, we are always told to follow your passion. Well, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. As he approached Jerusalem and he saw that city, he wept over it. Paul wept over those who were lost in Acts chapter 20. Jeremiah wept over his people. He said, I weep so much that my head is like a spring of water and my eyes are like a fountain of tears. He says, I weep day and night for my people. Tears are language God understands. And then we finished up yesterday talking about the fact that the soul owner also has this capacity to have a passion for lost souls. Today, I want to talk to you about the soul winner's power. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture that is somewhat familiar. It's found in Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse number 18. Jesus is speaking, and he speaks in a parable. And what a parable is, is a human illustration that drives home a spiritual truth. So Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. He says, if anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, the evil one comes and, and he snatches away what was sown into his heart. This is known of the seed that is sown along the path. In other words, their lives are hard from lots of people walking over them. And because of the hardness of that soil, it doesn't understand the gospel. They're not ready to receive the power of the gospel because their hearts are too hard. Then Jesus continues on in verse number 20. He says, the seeds that are falling on the rocky ground refers to somebody who hears the word and at once they receive it with joy. So here we see this seed is in the soil, but there's a lot of rocks in the soil. And as a result of that, when the seed begins to sprout, all of a sudden it dies because there's no root. It only lasts for a very short time. As soon as trouble comes and as soon as pressure comes or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. And then Jesus says there's a third place in which the seed falls. And not only is there that path, that hard soil, not only is there that rocky soil that has a bunch of stones in it, but there's also that soil that has a bunch of thorns in that soil. And this refers to somebody who, who hears the word, but then the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of riches and wealth, it, it just chokes out the word, making it unfruitful. But then Jesus talks about the seed that falls on good soil, referring to somebody who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred and sixty or thirty times what is sown. Good soil. You know, the power of the soul winner is the seed. We looked at four different soil types. The power is not in the soil. The power is in the seed. The soil has to be prepared to receive the seed, 
but the power is in the life-giving power of the word. There's a verse that I would hope that you would memorize. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is alive and active. I'm glad that they put both of those in there because I know some people that are alive, but they're not very active. I know some people that are active, but they're not really much alive, right? There's a lot of activity, but not a life. Uh, and so when we think about the Word of God as both alive and active, sharper than a double-edged sword, what does it do? It penetrates even to the dividing of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart of God. That's how powerful the Word of God is. If you really want to know your thoughts and your attitudes, get into the Word. Don't get into yourself, right? Get into the Word, because the Word of God will judge your thoughts and your attitude. You want to be filled with wisdom? Get into the Word of God. The Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword. It does two things. It divides the soul and the spirit, and as it does that, it produces an understanding of my thoughts and the attitudes of my heart. That's why the Word of God is so powerful. So the soul winner's power comes from the Word of God. And then we have a promise that is given. To those who are soul winners, he that winneth souls is wise. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteousness of the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Do you need wisdom today? Now, I know you got to ask for wisdom. James says, if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives to all men liberally, right? And it'll be given to him. Let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, right? Because he wavers is like that wave in the ocean, driven, toss and fro. Don't let you think that that man shall receive anything of the Lord because he's double-minded. He's unstable in all of his ways. As we ask for wisdom, I believe that God gives us a passion for leading people to the Lord because he who wins souls is wise. An earmark of wisdom is that I'm going to be a soul winner. Now, if you have no passion for reaching people with the gospel, you're not really going to have God's full wisdom. And I know that not everybody is gifted in sharing the gospel. I believe it's about 5%, maybe even less than 5% of the Christian population are what I would call truly gifted soul winners. I've known a few of those in my day. I've been trained by a few of them. As a matter of fact, many years ago, I had a dear friend of mine come as we were starting the church, and, and, uh, and it was way back in the, in the late 90s, and he came to visit and uh, spent a weekend with us, and I had such a great time with him, and, and we went out soul winning. We went out doing the old-fashioned, knocking on doors, sharing the gospel with people, inviting people to the church, and I remember one day we were out knocking on the door, and, and we ran into a local pastor, and now uh, this pastor knew me, and I knew him. I didn't know him that well, uh, but he knew I was the new kid in the community, and so we started to share the gospel with this guy, and, and I didn't tell the guy that was with me that this was a pastor. And so this guy just starts sharing the gospel with him. And he starts with this question. He says to this guy, he says, now, have you ever done a study of the new birth in John chapter 3? Well, this guy looks at us sideways like he didn't know what we were talking about. And so this soul winner went on and he said, well, uh, John chapter 3 is the story of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he says, what must I do to be born again? And so Jesus explains to him what the new birth is all about. And then we have the most popular verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, where God gives out the outline for what he did for the world. He so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Well, that pastor looked at us kind of funny. And we ended up our visit and we were walking down the sidewalk. And his soul winner says, now there's an example of a pastor 
who doesn't know the gospel and is probably not saved. That kind of set me back, but I think there's a lot of pastors that are not saved. Billy Graham one time said that 70% of the people sitting in the average pew in the average church in America is lost. I heard another pastor say probably 30% of the pastors who are in a pulpit every Sunday preaching are probably lost. I mean, how could you get up every Sunday as a born-again believer, knowing the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that the Word of God is the power from which we receive the seed, and how could you get up every Sunday and just tell little cute stories, give a little philosophical you know, speeches, and not give the Word of God? The Word of God is what's going to change people. As we look at the soul winner's promise, the soul winner is given wisdom as he leads souls to Christ. There's something else that we can receive as a promise as a soul winner, not only wisdom, but we receive a crown. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So the soul winner has at least two promises that he can cash in on. Number one is wisdom. Number two is a crown. Now I want to tell you a story that is a true story. And it was one of these stories as we were out soul winning one day. I had that guy I was just talking to you about. And this is a wonderful man of God who's gone on to be with the Lord. His name is J.O. Grooms. J.O. Grooms wrote a book called Treasure Path to Soul Winning. And this is a wonderful little book that has... Uh, 144 verses, and if you will memorize these 144 verses, you will discover that you will have a good working understanding of the New Testament. And J.O. Groom said, if you will memorize these 144 verses, you have the equivalent of an associate's degree in Bible. And so I want to encourage you to be a soul winner. But one day I was out soul winning with J.O. Grooms, and uh, we got at the end of the day, we were getting tired and we were getting hungry. And he said, well, let's go get something to eat. And I said, well, that's a great idea. I was hoping you asked uh, hours ago because I'm about to starve to death. And so we went to IHOP right there in Chesapeake, Virginia, on uh, Battlefield Boulevard. And I remember we went in there. And at that time, that IHOP restaurant was fairly new. And, and we went in there and, and uh, we were going to have some breakfast for dinner. You ever do that, have breakfast for dinner? And we went in there. It was kind of late. Uh, but we went in there and we decided to go ahead and eat. And uh, we had a fine young lady that came, very polite uh, lady came. She says, well, I'm going to take care of you tonight. And J.O. Groom started sharing the gospel with her. And, and then he, he stopped. He says, well, you know, you are on company time. And he says, I'm not going to share the gospel with you right now. But he said, can I have your phone number? And, and I was about to crawl under the table, to be honest with you, because I'm like, there's no way this, this young, attractive waitress is going to give this old man her phone number. Well, you know. She did? Well, I thought for sure she's going to give him the wrong number. That's what she's going to do. I just make up a phone number so he, he won't call her. And then he was so audacious to say, well, let me ask you another question. Uh, what time do you get off work? And again, I'm about to crawl under the table. I says, we are going to get thrown out of this restaurant. I said, she's going to call her dad or she's going to call the Chesapeake police uh, after us. And I says, what in the world are you asking this young lady what time she gets off work? And this lady says, well, I get off about 10 o'clock. He says, well, I'm going to call you at 10 o'clock. Is that okay? And she says, sure, you can call me at 10 o'clock. Now, that was a very unusual conversation. I mean, I was set back by that conversation. Now, I don't recommend this, okay? I'm just telling you what happened. At the end of that 10 o'clock hour, he called her. You know what he did? He shared the gospel with her. 
she got saved. And I know she got saved because about 10.30 that night, J.O. Grooms called me and told me that the waitress from IHOP got saved and that she was coming to church the next day to hear him preach. You know, sure enough, she showed up. She was there. She was gloriously saved. He that winneth souls is wise. And when we think about wisdom, do you need some wisdom today? That's a promise that is given to us. You know, Kathy Tricoli has been a successful Christian singer and a songwriter and an author and a speaker, I guess, now for over three decades. She also found success in secular music through the hits on the Billboard charts and through a collaboration of legendary groups like the Beach Boys. And, you know, Kathy initially grew up in a family that, that wasn't too religious. In fact, she said, The Bible in my family was a book on the end table that was never touched. However, in 1978, while working during the summer at a local pool, Kathy's spirituality was challenged. She noticed that her coworker was every day faithfully reading her Bible during her lunch break. As Kathy began to talk to her colleague about her love for the Bible, the friend began to answer her questions in a way that she had never heard before. Kathy said, I never heard about Jesus in the way she described him to me. The co-worker subsequently gave Kathy a copy of the New Testament to read and invited her to church, where she eventually committed her life to Christ. Today, Kathy has found success as a Christian artist, receiving many awards, which includes the Dove Awards, besides many Grammy nominations. But in her journey, in the Christian faith, it began because a co-worker served faithfully as a witness for Jesus Christ. Many years ago, we had a guy come to our church, and I guess he visited four or five Sundays, and, and finally I said to this guy, listen, I need to come over and see you. He said, I'd love for you to come over and see me. I went over to his house and sat down with him, and in about 35 minutes after sharing the gospel with him, this man prayed to receive Jesus Christ. Now, this man lived a rough life. This man had been previously married. Uh, This man was going through a difficult time in his personal life, and he was ready to hear some good news. So he received the gospel, and his life was changed drastically. He had a conversion experience unlike any that I have ever known. His life changed, and his life went into a whole new direction. Today, this man is pastoring a local congregation here in the Hampton Roads area. He was radically changed by the power of the gospel. Let me tell you about another man who also visited our church. And and after several weeks of visiting the church, I said, man, I'd like to come by and see you. I'd like to tell you the good news of Jesus Christ and what he can do for you. This man had been listening to the messages over the last several Sundays. He said, I'd love for you to come over. After about 35, 40 minutes, this man prayed to receive Christ and his life was gloriously changed. This man told me, you know, before coming to Christ, I was a womanizer. I was hooked on all kind of sin when it came to sexual sins, but I am gloriously turned around. I am gloriously saved. Today, this man is serving as a deacon at our church. I could tell you story after story of lives that have been changed by the power of the gospel. I think about the power of the gospel, not only to bring about salvation, but the gospel can bring about restoration. You know, many years ago, my son decided that he was going to kind of live the life of a prodigal. As a matter of fact, it got so bad that my wife and I had to make the difficult decision to say, you know what, Uh, son, you can no longer live with us. 
He was getting to the point where he's a very negative influence on the rest of the family. And so I had to tell him that he could no longer live with us. For some time, he lived in his car. And he was just kind of out there. One day he called me and said, well, Dad, I'm going down to Myrtle Beach. And I said, you know, I don't think that's such a good idea. I says, I think he's going to go down there and get himself in trouble. He's going to go down there and party the whole weekend. He said, Dad, I don't live at home, and, and uh, you can't tell me what to do. I'm going to Myrtle Beach. And I said, you know, you're right. I can't tell you what to do. I think it's a bad idea, and I'm going to be praying for you. Well, he's down at Myrtle Beach, and three or four days later, he called me. He said, Dad, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to you in person. Well, I thought for sure he was going to need me to bail him out of jail or something. And so I said, well, you know, it's going to take me a while to get to you because, you know, Myrtle Beach is several hours away. He said, well, I'm not at Myrtle Beach. I'm here in Chesapeake. And in fact, I'm in the church. I said, what are you doing at the church? He said, well, I thought you'd be here because it's our brother Seth's birthday. I thought you guys would be at the church having a party for Seth. And I said, well, we are having a party for Seth, but we're at the house. I said, come on home. He came home and we went into the side room where it was his bedroom. And he said, Dad, I'm sorry for the way that I lived my life. My life took a wrong turn. He said, would you forgive me? Forgive me for being a bad son. Forgive me for getting into living the life of a prodigal. You know, we forgave him. And I know it was a genuine time in his life because he went up into the living room where the rest of the family was and apologized to his siblings and apologized to his aunt and apologized to his mamma and his papa. You know, a guy gets right with the Lord when he starts apologizing to people. You know, as I think about what turned his life around, my son who was a prodigal, what turned his life around? Today, he's happily married. He's teaching Sunday school for our students at our church. What turned his life around? It was the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Every Thursday morning, I pray with a group of people, and we have a conference call, and we used to do this conference call in person. We'd meet at the church at 5 a.m. every Thursday. I had four or five guys that faithfully would show up and pray and intercede, and I had these guys, and I said, now, hey, guys, would you do me a favor? Would you every day, by name, pray for my son? Those men took on that challenge, and it was for over a year praying every single day for my son. Well, one of those guys on that prayer team says, you know, I think what your son needs, he needs somebody to believe in him and somebody to take a chance on him. He said, I'd like to hire him. So this is a local business guy in the area. And, and I told him, I said, well, that's awful noble of you. That's awful kind of you to hire my son. But I want you to know that if it doesn't work out and you have to release him, you have to fire him, I completely understand. And that's not going to hinder our friendship. I said, because this won't be the first job that he got fired from. Well, this guy hired my son, and my son at that time was just coming back from his trip to Myrtle Beach, and it was just now trying to get on the right track, and, and now he has this new job, and I'm still nervous for him because I'm not sure that he's fully come around, and I know that he's the prodigal that has returned, but I'm not sure that he's strong enough to handle going to work every day and take responsibility, but you know, it began very slow for him. Today, he's doing very well at that job. He's at that same job eight years later. I want you to know that God can restore in your life what the locust hath eaten. I want to challenge you when it comes to this matter of praying, to pray passionately, to pray without ceasing. Paul says, would you pray for me that when I speak, I may speak fearlessly? 
that I may proclaim the mystery of the gospel so that it will be made known? Oh, I want you to know that we pray for you. If we can help you with a prayer request, feel free to shoot me a text message at 252-267-2365, and I will add you onto our prayer list, and we will pray for you this Thursday. You know, our list has anywhere between 30 and probably 60 or 70 requests on it every single week. And a team of about 20 people call in a call, and we pray every single week. I believe in the power of prayer. Sometimes you get called upon to do something, you don't know what to do, you don't know what to say. That's the perfect time to pray. One time I was called upon to speak, and I wasn't prepared to speak, and so I got up and I said, guys, I didn't know I was going to speak today, and so I just prayed. And as I began to pray, I said, Lord, would you give me wisdom to speak the words that I need to encourage this congregation? And unbeknownst to me, the Spirit of God just steps in and takes over. Listen, he'll do the same thing for you. We are commanded in God's Word to pray. Pray for the lost people in our community. Pray for the pastors in our community as they preach the gospel. Pray for those who are on the front lines doing spiritual warfare. So, Lord, we thank you today just for this opportunity to gather together and look at what soul winners need. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.